Welcome, and thank you for streaming this sermon. At Heritage Baptist Church, we believe that the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus can truly change lives. So it is our hope and prayer that this service stirs up your affection for Christ and helps you to draw closer to Him. For more information, please visit hbchazlett.org. It's my turn. All right, if you wouldn't your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And my uh, habit is to come in on Sunday afternoon before services, usually a couple hours early, and look over the message and, and tweak it some or whatever the Lord lays upon my heart. And as I was doing that, I, and from time to time, as you know, I say, don't look at the bulletin. So tonight, don't look at the bulletin. And don't, don't, key into anything I said this morning about what I was going to preach. And this is one of the uh, downsides of putting it in the bulletin and also putting the notes up and whatever. So tonight, uh, we're going to preach again about that the problems we face are common to all men. I know this is a, a message that's been preached many times, and, but tonight I think it's a good reminder. I think I needed this tonight, and I hope tonight that maybe, uh, maybe, maybe you're the one that needed this tonight. And so, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. If you don't have this underlined in your Bible, it really ought to be. It's a, it's a very important verse that impacts all of our lives, and uh, really on a daily basis. And look there at verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted or tested above that which you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Again, taken you, but such as is common to man. I don't know how many times I've had somebody come into my office and say, Preacher, I've got this problem. I don't think you've ever heard it before. Or, Preacher, I have this problem. We had this marital issue going on in our, our, our marriage, and, I, man, I just don't know that, anyway. But I, I usually come off telling them, or at least tell them, listen, I, I've, this is common. This is a common uh, problem in marriage. It's a common problem that most marriages face. And then I walk them through it. And many times giving them examples maybe of other couples in the church who have had those same issues. Because our problems really are common to man. Common to man. Sometimes we feel like we're all alone. And that our problem is unlike any other person's problems. And it's not true. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, tonight as we preach the simple message that most in this room have heard before. Most even those online have heard. I pray God that you would... Remind us, and by way of review, the importance of understanding, Lord, the problems we face and how we ought to react to those problems as Christians. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We are not alone in our problems. Again, trials and problems are common to all of us. 1 Kings chapter 19. If you want to turn there, you can. If not, you can listen. But 1 Kings chapter 19, we have the story of what uh, transpired right after Elijah had had the great victory on Mount Carmel. After 800 prophets of Baal had been slain and, and uh, the great victorious uh, mountaintop experience that Elijah uh, had there. And then the very next minute, you know, Ahab goes home and tells his wife Jezebel, hey, uh, the prophet Elijah just killed 800 of your prophets. And uh, Jezebel sent word to Elijah, Elijah, you're, you're going down. Uh, 
Jezebel, actually the, the word is actually, he says, and, and then Jezebel sent a messenger, verse 2, 1 Kings 19. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. If I, if I don't make your life like one of the life of the prophets that you slain uh, by tomorrow. And what did Elijah do? Elijah stood up and said, Not going to happen. And Elijah went and confronted her. Nope, that's not what happened. And he says when he saw that, he arose and went for his life. He just slain. They just had this great victory. Just seen God do great and wonderful. God sent down fire from heaven. And yet Elijah the prophet, the great man of God, when he found out that Jezebel was after him, he fled. He fled and came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. And you know the story that God took care of him there. The angel came to him and fed him and gave him water. And God came to him in, you know, in an earthquake, came to him in a fire, but then came to Elijah in a still, small voice. And Elijah listened to God. And in verse 14 of that same chapter, it says, And he said, I have been, Elijah says to God, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Elijah says to God, you know, all, all of Israel has forsaken you. All of Israel has forsaken God. And I'm the only one left. Verse 19. God tells Elijah, yet have I left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. In other words, Elijah... God comforted Elijah by telling him he was not alone. Can I say tonight that you are not alone? No matter what you may be encounter, no matter what you may face, what you face is common to your fellow Christian who has been through it. We are not alone. I'm, I'm thankful we're not alone that God's always with us. He's promised to never leave us nor forsake us, but we also have a, a commonality with our fellow Christian human beings that the things that we face, the trials that we face, are again common. I've turned over to 1 Peter in chapter 4. I'm going to read a few verses over here. Some of them are familiar. 1 Peter chapter 4, in verse 12. So we see Elijah the prophet was not alone. Here in 1 Peter chapter 4, it tells us that we, as we suffer, that we are allowed to take part of Christ's suffering. Verse 12, 1 Peter chapter 4, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. So don't, don't think it strange that something's happened to you, that you've gone through a trial. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happier ye, for the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you, on their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as murderers. And it goes on to talk about other suffering and suffering that we may go through. Suffering according to the will of God and commit the keeping of your soul to him. Verse 19, as unto a faithful creator. Listen, you've got to put it in the Lord's hands. I mean, God created everything. Look at verse 19 again. Wherefore, let him that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their soul to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. I know I'm a broken record, but I do so sometimes on purpose. God always has your best interest in mind. 
no matter what you go through, no matter what trial you may be facing, from what you may think is seemingly small to what you may see, think is seemingly big, God has your best interest in mind. Teenager, God has your best interest in mind. God has your best interest in mind. And so when we go through a trial, we ought to give that over to the Creator who knows all things, who knows the beginning uh, and the end. First Peter chapter 5, look there just across the page. First Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. So many Christians, their casters broke. You ever took a Zepco, you know, 202 or a Zepco 404 or a Zepco 8, 800, whatever, those, those drive me crazy, those little fishing rods, little fishing poles. And they always get, you know, they last about three casts and all of a sudden you've got to fix them. And that just, just drives me to no end. Uh, when my, my sons and I first started really fishing, this is like, good night, in 2004 and five. I was raised in the country per se, but I'd never been on a lake in a, in a boat. For some reason, I'd fished a lot of ponds. In fact, on our farm in Oklahoma, there were five ponds. We did a lot of fishing, but I'd never been on a lake in a boat. And Brother Terry Terry over here in Boyd took me and Caleb and Joshua. Caleb and Joshua were real small, took us out fishing, and we caught some big old hybrids on Lake Bridgeport. And I said to them, and they said to me, Dad, we like this. I said, well, then I'll buy a boat. And so I went out to try to buy a uh, tackle, and then I bought a couple of these, you know, uh, just regular old Zepco 33s. And they were fine for a while, but man, just again, just get so frustrated with them when you cast them about 20 times and all of a sudden they're all messed up and you've got to take them apart and you've got to fix them. The caster's broke. <laughs> How many Christians the casters are broke? Your caster's broke. Cast all your care upon him for he careth for you, but you go through this and you go through that and you, you do this and you cast it a couple of times and all of a sudden your caster broke. Your caster broke. We need to be able to, and we should, cast our care upon Him. Look at the rest of this cha chapter. It says, be sober, be vigilant, verse 8, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom may devour. Listen, the devil is after you. If you're living for the Lord, if you're, if you're trying to follow in the steps of Jesus, if you're doing what we talked about this morning and you're keeping the one thing as your focus, you're keeping Jesus Christ in the focus of your life and you're, and you're going to work with the with with Christ in mind and you're going to going to the football field with Christ in mind, you're going to school with Christ in mind, if you're truly living that life and seeking Him, the devil hates that. The devil wants to do anything he can to deter you, to distract you, to get you off track. We need to be careful. We need to be vigilant. Our adversary, the royal lion, seeking whom may devour, verse 9 says, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same affliction are accomplished, listen to this now, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect. That means complete or mature, establish, strengthen, settle you. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. As we face these trials, as we face these tests, may we be reminded that our brethren go through the same issues. And that the suffering is simply for a while, that the suffering is there to complete us and mature us, to establish us, to strengthen us, and to settle us. We all face problems. Problems are a commonality among Christians, among all human beings. In fact, I think verse 9 is actually referring to everybody in the world. Listen, we, we all face 
trials. We all face testings. I'm, God had never promised, as I've said before, we've been preached from the pulpit a thousand times, God never said we would go without problems. God, Jesus Christ never said that the Christian life would be without problems. But he did say that he would take us through the problems, that he walk us through the problems. Um, we again think about the Gospel of John where, where Jesus said, In this world you shall have tribulation. But big of cheer, I've overcome the world. We'll all face problems. If you have a problem tonight, you're in good company. Because the person sitting next to you, the person in front of you, probably has a problem going on as well. We're all in good company. As long as we're in this world, we'll face problems. As long as we're in this world, problems will be a daily experience. Problems are inevitable and unavoidable. Don't get depressed yet. Stay with me. Problems are means by which we grow. Again, without the rain, there is no growth. Without the rain, the grass doesn't grow. Without the rain, uh, the hay doesn't grow. I mean, we need rain. The storms bring about growth. Problems are not necessarily bad. And we ought to look at it that way. Every Christian ought to look at their problems and their trials differently than the world looks at them. Understanding and knowing that God has our best interest in mind. Problem solving is the central activity of life, isn't it? I mean, for adults, isn't problem solving the central activity, what you do all day? Problems grow more complex each year. How many of you agree with that? As adults, it just seems to get a little more complex as time goes on. Problem solvers become bitter problem solvers. I'm sorry, become better problem solvers. That sounds better than bitter. But I, I, you know what? That would have worked too because a lot of sol problem solvers get bitter instead of better. Problem solvers respond rather than react. Most people believe this about their problems. Here there are three things. Most people believe this about problems. One, Problems are negative and bad because they involve us in an unpleasant pressures, distressing conflict, and are an inconvenient interruption of our plans for a smooth, easy life. Hello? Absolutely. An unpleasant pressure, distressing conflict, inconvenient interruption, affecting my smooth life. That's how most people see it. Number two, we think that a lack of problems should be a reward for hard work, careful planning, and clear thinking. Number three, we falsely think. I don't even want to read this one, but I'm going to. Miss Linda, this one doesn't apply to me at all. Here we go. We falsely think that if we love God, commit our lives to Him, and diligently serve Him, He will work things out for us so that everything will run smoothly. Only evildoers should have problems. I, I honestly cannot say that I haven't thought that way from time to time. By the way, David thought that way. You see David many times. So, Lord, why do the righteous, why do, why do the ungodly, why, why, why do they succeed? Why, why do they have plenty and the righteous do not? He's constantly kind of looking over the fence at, What's going on with the ungodly? But then he always responds with, God, I know you're in control. I'm just summarizing. And God, I know that the wicked will perish. <laughs> that's actually found in Psalm 73. Why does a just and loving God permit the problems that are found in our lives? Well, we think about the life of Job. Was Job better off in the end? 
after facing and going through the trials and the tests that he went through? The answer is absolutely yes. In fact, he testifies to the point. Remember at the end, after Job had lost everything, he lost his wife, lost his children, lost his wealth. And as you come to chapter 38, by the way, he went through the beating of his friends who showed up, the verbal abuse of his friends. They weren't very good friends. And though he said, though you slay me, God, yet will I trust in you. But after his friends continued to beat him down verbally and beat him down, he finally begins to question his creator. Job begins to question the creator. He began to question the care of his creator. And then what did, what did God do? God showed him how great and powerful that he was. He showed him the two dinosaurs. He showed him how, who, who controls the wind, who controls the weather, Job. And he showed he showed to Job his might, his majesty, his power. And when Job so, saw God in a fresh way, when, God, when Job so, saw God in a greater way, the Bible says he repented. And he said something like this. He said, Lord, I've heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye seeth thee, and he repented in dust and ashes. It gave Job a greater understanding of God, and as he got a greater understanding of God, he got a greater understanding of who he was, saw himself for who he was. And the Bible, gave, the Bible says that God gave Job double what he had before. Job benefited from the trial and the testing he went through. Let's go over to Psalm 73. Let's just read it, and you can actually, it interprets itself. It's a song of Asaph. He talks about the prosperity of the wicked. He says, truly God is good to Israel. Look at verse 1, Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well now slipped. Verse 3, for I was envious of the foolish. When I saw what? The prosperity of the wicked. He's looking over the fence. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak softly, loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens. In other words, they shake their hands at God. They, their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore, his people return hither, and the waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, How doth God know? And is their knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. So as he's looking across the fence, he says, Why, God, does the wicked prosper? Why do they seem to have, he kind of uses that visual imagery of wringing out a rag of prosperity. <laughs> and why is their cup full? But notice how it kind of changes here. He says, Verily, verse 13, I have cleansed my heart in vain. I washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. For if I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Until what? until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood, then understood I their end. Until he, until he got walking with the Lord, 
until he got in fellowship with God, until he got into the presence of God, he said, I, 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 I was, it was too painful for me. But once he walked into the presence of God, it says this, verse 18, Surely thou didst set them, talking about the wicked, thou didst set them in slippery places. Notice how his attitude changed. Thou casteth them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? Brought to desolation in a moment. In a moment, their life changes. In a moment, they're brought into desolation. They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream, when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I. So foolish was I. And ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Lord, sorry, I questioned you. <laughs> sorry, I looked at it that way. Lord, I was foolish. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holding me by my right hand. Aren't you glad God holds her hand? Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterwards receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all of them, that they are go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all thy works. It was foolish, he said, for me to look over the fence. And, and see the prosperity of the wicked and look at it in a good light. Because he says, God, they will perish. They will perish. Why do we face problems as Christians? Well, that we might see God. That we might see God for who He is. So that we properly view ourselves for who we are. By the way, in need of Him. That we might be purified. That we might be chastened as a father chasteneth his children. And that we might understand that it's for our good and for His glory. For His glory. Now turn one more. Turn over to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. You know the story. The children of Israel come out of Egypt. And God leads them out with a mighty hand. I love again the description of how God brought, him out, brought them out. He said He brought them out on the eagle's wings. I mean, it's just amazing the imagery we get from the Bible of how God brought them out. He brought them out. They came to Mount Sinai, received the Ten Commandments, received the temple, the tabernacle pattern, and all the things they received there. The, then they came to the River Jordan. As they looked there, they were on the mountain, as they looked down into that valley, the Jordan Valley, they looked over across there. They sent in 12 spies to spy out the land. 12 spies went into the land to spy it out. Look at verse 26. And they went and came to Moses. So here's the spies coming back from going into the land of Canaan. It says, and when they came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel, Numbers 13, verse 26, and to the wilderness of Paran, to Kadesh, and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came unto the land where thou sentest, and surely it floweth milk and honey, and there, this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great, and moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. They saw the Anaks, they saw the children of Anak, the giants of that land. I love verse 30. We all love verse 30, don't we? 
And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, Hmm, we'd be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in, in it are men of great stature. Verse 33, And there we saw the giants, the sons of Manic, which came of the giants, and we were in our, what does it say there? Own sight. Not in their sight, but in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. But at first it says we were grasshoppers in our own sight. That was their attitude. That was their attitude. It's amazing to me how, and I read through my Bible once, uh, I read through my Bible once looking at all the words in which the Bible says, trust in the Lord. And I've underlined that in my Bible, trust in the Lord. How many times the writers say, trust the Lord, or trust, especially in the Psalms. Another thing you can do in your Bible, and really when you come to the wilderness wanderings, when you come uh, and the promises are given to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, the promise, the Abrahamic covenant. Let me, let me just back up. The Abrahamic covenant that was given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, that covenant included the land, the land that he walked upon and that his offspring would be as the sand of the sea and as the stars of heaven. All right, so Abraham was promised Canaan land. He was promised this land flowing with milk and honey and that as he walked in it, it would be given to him. Notice how I said that. It would be given to him. And what I'm saying is you can, you can go back to Genesis chapter 12 and you can follow this promise and every time the promise is given, it says God will give it to you. God will give you the land. They didn't have to earn it. They weren't going to earn it. They weren't going to pay for it. But God was going to give them the land. We know that at the end of the book of Genesis, that Joseph and the family of Jacob went down into Egypt, and there they dwell for 400 years. And when you pick it back up in Exodus, and God has heard their cry of those Jews there in slavery in Egypt, and He says, I'm going to bring you out of the land of Egypt. I'm going to bring you out with a mighty hand. Over and over again, there in the first 12 chapters of the book of Exodus, three or four different times, he says, I'm going to give you the land. Give it to you. And then as you get into the book of Joshua, he says, I'm going to give you the land. Give it to you. This was a land promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. The Jews understood this promise, this promise that God would give them the land. They wouldn't have to earn it. In other words, they're going to do the fighting, but God's going to, God's going to go before them and fight for them. They will not defeat Jericho on their own. It would be an impossibility for them to defeat Jericho on their own. But God will fight for them. God brought the walls down, right? 40 years later after this story. So just think about that for a moment. They're coming to the, river, the Jordan River. They're coming back to the land they had left 400 years earlier. That Jacob had left and Joseph had left. They're coming back to the land that was given to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They're coming back to the land of promise that God had given them. And he said, when you go into this land, I will give it to you. Why didn't they cross over? Because they didn't trust in the promises of God. They didn't trust in His promise. They didn't trust God. They didn't have faith in Him. Even though they saw the cloud by day and the fire by night, even though they were, 
it's amazing to me, had picking up man in the wilderness and all the great miracles that they were still seeing. I mean, with their own eyes, even though they saw the great miracles in Egypt, they were still seeing miracles every day. And yet they still had a lack of faith and trust in the Lord to bring them over the River Jordan and to bring them and give them the land. Why? Because of this. We were in our own sight as grasshoppers. Looking at themselves, their attitude, again, as grasshoppers in our own sight. The problem is not that we will have problems, but the problem is how we're going to view and react to the problems. Every Christian ought to react different than a non-Christian to a problem. Every problem, every trial, every test that you face, your reaction versus the average person in the world out there, your reaction should be different than their reaction. As I face a trial and as I face a problem as a Christian, I am facing that trial, that problem with the Lord. He's with me. He's promised to never leave me nor forsake me. And so I should face that problem differently than others would. And here in this instance, we see Caleb says, hey, let's go up at once. That's the proper response. The proper response is to put your faith and trust in the Lord. Verse 30, Caleb stilled the people and said, let us go up at once and possess it. We're able to overcome it. It's a positive report. He saw that they were able. That was the perspective of Joshua. Listen, um, look at chapter 14, Numbers chapter 14, and look at verse 6. And Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephna, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes, after the children of Israel kind of rejected their report and were not going to cross over. They spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we, we passed through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then He will bring us into this land and give it us, give it us, a land flowing, floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are what? Say it. Bread for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. They are bread for us. In other words, they are there for our faith to grow. They're there to feed our faith. Our trials and our problems are there to feed our faith, to help us grow. Joshua and Caleb understood that. If they would cross over the Jordan River, God would give them the land. God would fight for them. God would go before them and fight for them. In fact, he describes it in one area. He says, well, I will be like, like bees in front of you. And I will sting the enemies and I will drive them out of the land for you. He'll do the work. God will do the work for you. The Lord is with us. The Lord is with us. But the negative report by those ten spies took on the agreement of the rest of the crowd. And they were unable to go in. Can I remind you tonight that with God all things are possible? And just as a side note, don't try. Don't try to go forward without God. Because some of them tried. Look at chapter 14 and verse 39. Some of them said, oh no, we've sinned. We've done wrong now. After God already told them, you're not going to the land. Because of your lack of faith, you're not going into the land. Um, I will not be with you if you do. And some of them tried to go in, and the Bible says there in verse 45, Then the Amalekites came down, and the Canaanites, which dwelt in the hill, and smote them and discomforted them, even unto Hormah. Some of them that went in, they died. Why? Because God wasn't with them. Because of their lack of faith. We need the Lord. We need Him to fight our battles for us. We cannot do it without Him. Without Him, nothing's impossible. 
Without him, we need him. The negative response. Y'all know how I th- what I think about pessimists. The pessimist and the optimist. And again, I know some of you disagree, but the realist I'd usually put in with the, with the pessimist. Usually a realist is just a pessimist with a mask on, pretending to be a realist. It is said that an optimist may see light where there is none, but why must the pessimist always run and blow it out? A pessimist sees a problem in every opportunity, whereas the optimist sees an opportunity in every problem. I had the uh, opportunity to pastor the church I grew up in. I got to go back to Nakona. My dad also pastored that church when I was 15. My dad helped start that church when I was 11 uh, there in Nakona, small town. The church ran 35, even when my dad was pastoring it, when the, the founding pastor was pastoring it. Small building. Some of y'all been to that building. The auditorium is like, seats about 70 with feet sitting over here. It's a great, great... By the way, no other independent Baptist church in town. There's a great need for that church to be there. And that's why it was planted there. So I had the opportunity to, when I was 20 to go back and pastor that church. When I got there, the former pastor, not my dad, the former pastor had run off everybody just about. There was 12 people left. And so because I knew most of the people who had left, I was able through the, through the Lord to be able to get most of them back. And I, I loved it. I had afternoon, Sunday afternoon men's prayer meetings with all the men. It started out with just me and a couple of men. Uh, and then a family moved into town and bought a farm outside the city. His name was, last name was Brothers. I loved it because he was Brother Brothers. Hello, Brother Brothers. Brother Brothers, Miss Brothers just passed away uh, last year. Uh, but Brother Brothers, he, he, chain smoker, a chain smoker. But that man would do anything for the church. He was such a blessing. He'd come down, he mowed, he, he did everything. He would go, he'd go visitation with me. Point is this, we, in the early days, we were, I was on there a couple of years, but in those early months of being there, we started this men's prayer meeting, and I had two or three men in there, and I had one negative, and I was so thankful that Brother Brothers joined the church because he was the ultimate optimist. He was so positive, preacher, man, this is going great. And he was an older gentleman. Even then, he was, he was an older gentleman, uh, especially compared to me. I was 20. He was probably 60. Over, he was retired, so he had to be in his 60s. And he was just always positive. In fact, he would, a family would join that morning, and he would say to me, he would say in that prayer meeting, Preacher, can we give you a raise yet? Did they start tithing yet? I mean, he was just that way. He was like, just, he was so optimistic. He was so awesome. I had another man in that same room who had been there almost from the beginning. My dad would know who it is. And uh, he just always negative, just always negative. He'd come, and you could see it on his face. I was like, come on, man. Things, God's, God's blessing, let's go. But no, no, no. Hey, preacher, you know the water fountain's not working. I know it's not working. It wasn't working when I got here. Preacher, you know the vans broke down. I know the vans broke down. It broke down when I got here. Preacher, you know the lawnmower's broke. I know the lawnmower's broke. Preacher, you know the, the, the ceiling's leaking, the roof's leaking. I know the roof's leaking. It was leaking when I got here. Can we just stop talking about it? Look at what God's doing. And God just blessed and blessed and blessed. But this guy constantly, every Sunday, there was something. Something wrong, something he had to rehearse of something negative that went on, you know, 10 years ago or whatever the case is. And I just, just wanted to go forward. Attitude, attitude, attitude. Attitude's so important. 
Where your heart is, right? The heart is deceitfully wicked. But we need to be careful about our attitude. Caleb and Joshua had the right attitude. They had the positive outlook. They, they put their trust in the Lord. I love Brother Brothers. He was constantly praying with me and putting his trust in the Lord and saying, Lord, preacher, let's do this and this. Well, we don't have the, well, let's do it anyway. Love it. Loved it. It was such encouraging to a young pastor. Many times we magnify our problems by worrying about them because of our lack of trust in Him. Many times we compound our problems by procrastination, by putting them off and not taking care of them. And many times we compound the problem by putting too much stock in our own selves and our ability to overcome the problem. Warren Wiersbe said this, he said, God made us and God is able to empower us to do whatever He calls us to do. Denying that we can accomplish God's work is not humility, it is the worst kind of pride. Where God leads, He supplies, amen? Where God leads, He feeds. Norman Cousins from the surface of the moon said this, he said, no problem need any longer be considered unsolvable. Think about what was accomplished. Be an optimist. Look positively at every situation. We are more than conquerors. We can face the giants if we keep our eyes on the Lord. I don't know what problem you may be facing tonight, but you need to keep your eyes on the Lord. Trust Him. Put your faith and confidence in Him. Be, be Caleb. Uh, be Joshua. Follow their example. Let's all stand. On behalf of our church and staff, thank you for listening to this sermon. For more sermons and more information about our church, please visit hbchazlett.org.